This episode is brought to you in partnership with Iowa's Healthy Estate Initiative and Make It Okay. Did you know one in five people will have some kind of mental illness in their lifetime? Make It Okay is a community campaign to reduce stigma by starting conversations, increasing understanding about mental illness. You can make the pledge at makeitok.org slash Iowa. You're listening to Your Best Life, powered by Mercy One. Join us as we have a fun conversation with certified experts and physicians about health topics for you and your family. It's Your Best Life, our one purpose. Well, sometimes mental health problems can make things seem hopeless, and suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. It can have lasting and harmful effects on the individuals close to you, friends, families, and the communities. Today we're joined by licensed mental health counselor Kim Ellingson um, to talk about this today. And, and Kim, before we, we get started, um, just tell us a little bit about um, yourself, um, your expertise, and, and how you help patients. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm a licensed mental health counselor, and we see a lot of depression and anxiety. I have a master's in mental health, have worked in a variety of settings, inpatient residential care, uh, outpatient counseling, community mental health, and I'm really excited to be here today. Well, thanks for taking some time with us today. Um, definitely an important subject. And, and um, so what are signs that someone might be in crisis? Absolutely. So warning signs that someone might be in crisis. Uh, we're going to see behavioral changes, maybe hypersomnia where they're sleeping a lot or insomnia where they're having trouble sleeping. We see appetite changes where someone's eating more or less, um, isolating more, uh, diminished interest in pleasurable activities, things they once found fun, they're not wanting to do anymore, that depressed mood. And a big one that we get very alarmed by is when people start getting rid of their stuff. So if like important possessions to them, when we start seeing that they're wanting to do this, uh, we get very concerned. So those are some of the warning signs we reach out and you kind of bring out too that this affects so many people. Uh, kind of want to put a plug into hospice and some other organizations have uh, support groups for people who have lost somebody to suicide. So I think it's important people know that, you know, they're not alone and if they need help, you know, getting support after someone has committed suicide, that's available. And so you you kind of started that, um, started this down the path here, but yeah, let's talk a little bit more about some of these local resources that people have at their, at their fingertips that they do feel at risk or, or know someone they, they think may be, believe is at risk. Absolutely. There, it's never been more convenient to access services. So there, if you were just to Google counseling services, obviously we have these at Mercy One and they're all throughout the community. Um, some people feel more comfortable talking to their primary care provider about this instead of scheduling with a psychiatrist, which we greatly recommend. Um, most companies actually over like 50 employees tend to have EAP sessions, which is you get five or six free sessions. And so does everyone else in your family. So if you're concerned about your son or your daughter um, or your wife, they can access free counseling services. All people would have to do is call their HR department. Um, Generally, therapy is covered by most insurances. We also have um, lots of different hotlines. So we have suicide prevention hotlines. We have hotlines specifically for adolescents who tend to like more texting rather than calling someone. We have a the new kind of in the state of Iowa is crisis, uh, mobile crisis centers where um, we can call and a counselor can come immediately to you if you're in a crisis, which is pretty fantastic. 
you mentioned the suicide prevention hotline. I'm just going to put that number out here right now. That's 1-800-273-8255, and it is free and confidential. And you did mention um, texting is now um, implemented as far as that too, which I have to I have to assume that makes people feel a little more comfortable opening up. Absolutely. And we can even like to like if someone's struggling and um, they're a part of a certain population, like the LGBT population or the veterans, like you can Google and find something that where you're really going to feel supported in that. And then obviously, I forgot to mention, if you really if you're thinking about intent and you're thinking about acting on those thoughts, we encourage all those people to immediately go to the emergency room. Or if you're concerned, someone in your family, immediately take them to the the emergency room, or if even somebody like sends you a text and is kind of alluding to something that's happened, I don't think people recognize also what we can do is call the police and have them do a well person check. If we're two hours from somebody and we're greatly concerned and they're not picking up their phone. Let's talk a little bit about um, the counseling in general. And, and I think part of, I mean, I, th- I think sometimes people think about the, 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 the struggles that they personally face and just it, it, it seems to them that there are no other options. And, and it may sometimes be difficult to share those internal feelings with other people, especially people that aren't in your close circle. Um, so do you find difficulty as a counselor to begin that relationship with people who need that help? And, and if so, like how, how do you help people get over those hurdles? Absolutely. I think that um, one good way to, to do that is maybe do some research before you find your counselor. So find out what they specialize in. And I don't think as counselors, because this is our trained field that we are validating and we want to connect with people. So on the counselor's end, I don't think that's a big worry. But if the if somebody presents in counseling and they don't feel like their counselor understands, I don't know that people recognize you can always go to somebody else. There's always going to be somebody there and you have the right to find the right provider for you. And they're trained to also maybe get out some of those things and kind of probe in a, in a gentle way so that uh, it feels more comfortable. Cause a lot of time clients, those first session, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. And that's the counselor's job is to assess, to start that dialogue, to help you. So any kind of anxiety going in, just know that that's their role and that's what they're trained to do. Um, so, so we have connections with, with, with people within our own family, friends, um, other people that we know, um, what, how, how do we support those people that when we identify that they may just need a helping hand? Absolutely. I think the number one thing is to listen, to take it seriously and validate the feelings of what's going on. Even if it's not the reality of the situation, if they're saying, I feel like nobody cares about me, validate that. Like you're really feeling alone right now. We validate what's going on. We take it seriously. We encourage them to get help or ask them what we can do to help get them help. Um, And especially if it's a crisis situation, we're not going to leave those people alone. So if our son or daughter comes to us or family members saying this, we don't want to leave the room. We want to, we can always, um, especially with kids, take things out of the house that might be concerning. Um, What we know about like adolescent boys is, whereas maybe adults plan it out a little bit more, adolescent boys tend to, when they first have the suicidal thoughts, um, they might act within the first 15 minutes. So also if we can teach people, you know, some emotional regulation skills or sit with them until, you know, a half hour has passed, sometimes that is really helpful. And I think another thing that people don't recognize is um, 
if we ask the questions, it doesn't put this idea in people's heads. So let's say you just notice that somebody's depressed, asking like, are you having suicidal thoughts is not going to give them suicidal thoughts. And some really important questions we can ask if we're struggling ourselves and if other people are, um, like if they're having thoughts, have they thought about a plan? What do they want to do if they're like, um, I think I would uh, shoot myself? Uh, do they have access to those means? So if we have somebody in our house who that's the thought that they've had on and off throughout their life, we're going to try to lock up those things or take safety measures when they're in that place. Then also asking intent, because a lot of people when they do have uh, depression, it isn't uncommon to have thoughts of suicide. I think sometimes people are also afraid to talk about this, like they're afraid they're going to be hospitalized, especially if they talk to a professional, which is not necessarily the case. If they're just having thoughts, they don't want to act on it. They have good insight. They just need some help. It's absolutely okay to talk about this without fear of that. I'm going to be hospitalized if I just mention that I'm struggling with this. I'm, I'm looking at the the Centers for Disease Control website and uh, just some just some stats here I want to share that suicide rates in the United States actually increased 33% between 1999 and 2019. And in 2019, 12 million American adults seriously thought about suicide with 3.5 million having a plan and 1.4 million actually making that attempt. Um, and this is something that affects all ages. Um, it looks at it's the second leading cause of death for people ages 10 to 34. Um, and that goes to the fourth leading cause among pe- people ages 35 to 44. Kim, I'm, I'm curious too, like in today's world, especially with like social media and opening yourself up to an audience that, I mean, going viral. I mean, people, people are out there for the likes and the comments, but that obviously... It's not always a positive thing. I mean, it can have the ex- a negative impact too. I'm curious in your practice if you're seeing more younger patients than before and if if some of that social media is part of the conversation. Absolutely. And we see what research indicates, and by no means am I anti-social media or anti-cell phones, but there's a marketed increase as soon as like teens get or preteens get a cell phone and they get on social media, especially girls rates of depression and suicide immediately go up. And as you're talking about how much more common this is, uh, I think too, with the pandemic, I, during the, the first year of the pandemic, I don't think that I saw anybody in more crisis than teens where they used they, you know, they have their whole lives they are very structured, very social. We under, we had to, you know, take that away. And we saw depression among teens just skyrocket. I think there also can be a bright side to social media. So what, you know, with teenagers, this is something very important to them. It does help keep them connected. So we want to limit it so that it doesn't feel so overwhelming with anxiety, especially if we start clicking on the news and the things that are negative, our, our phone phones are going to continue to feed that to us. But we can also do things like follow people who, um, you know, influencers who struggle with mental health uh, problems. We see like, especially when girls, when they're in their adolescence, if we introduce body positive things, to like the influencers, it starts to make a difference. So it matters what you're paying attention to. You know, you think sometimes like, I'm glad social media wasn't a thing when, when I was coming up in school and things like that. And I can't even imagine today's world, but um, bullying is is certainly something that that is out there. And I have to imagine has increased when people can sit behind a keyboard and somewhat be anonymous. Um, and that certainly doesn't help. A hundred percent. And then, 
not only do people have access to kids and grownups 24 seven. So like you never turn it off. Whereas when you and I were in school, if we were experiencing bullying, we knew at the end of the day, we're going to get a break until 7am the next day. These people are constantly. And I think also that quest for likes and comments and that validation can really play into our mental health. If I only got 16 likes for this and other posts, I get something else. Do people still like me? Am I still a worthwhile, valuable person? Well, each each individual is valuable. Um, remind yourself of that. Um, everybody has value, um, even when it seems like there's no other options. So, um, Kim, let's talk a little bit. Just remind folks of, of some of the resources they have um, and and the places to call if they if they do need someone to talk to. Absolutely. One place is um, going to your primary care provider who can help get you set up with counseling or medication. Um, We've got EAP sessions through HR to cover counseling. We've got various hotlines, suicide prevention hotline. And if you just Google any sort of suicide hotline, those are available. We've got the ER if this is an imminent risk. We also have um, mobile crisis response units that can come to your house within a few hours and you can meet with a counselor if you're in a crisis. And another plug too with all this, if it's hard to reach services because maybe you're working all day or your kid's in school, um, telehealth is something almost all mental health providers, psychiatry and counseling have this. So you could be in your office at work. You can be at home with your kids. It's never been easier to get access to resources. And, and emergency rooms aren't just for accidents and traumas. The emergency room, you can just walk into your emergency room there and as well. And then I'll also I'll put the hotline out here again too. That's 800-273-8255. And it's actually really easy to remember. It's actually 800-273-TALK is the 8255-T-A-L-K. So um, Kim, anything else you want to add into the conversation today? Nope. If anybody has any questions at all, even if they're thinking and they don't want to ask, I would say reach out to a counselor, reach out to your doctor, you know, reach out if you're a young person to an adult you trust, like get the help. You're not faking it. We we want to take this seriously and it's better to get it when it first starts than down the road. If, If anybody's struggling, there are people here to help. Once again, licensed mental health counselor, Kim Ellingson from Mercy One on the podcast today. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. We're happy to partner with Iowa's Healthy Estate Initiative and the Make It Okay campaign to bring you this content. It's okay to have mental illness. Many people do. It's okay to talk about mental illness. Talking makes people feel less alone. It's okay to seek help with mental illness. Life can get better. Send us your feedback by emailing podcast at mercyhealth.com or fill out the submission form at mercyone.org slash podcast and you can find all of our other episodes um, on behavioral health and many other topics as well that's mercyone.org slash podcast mm-hmm.